0: Oh, thank you very much. Uh, It's two minutes past six, and this is Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm Trevor Dan. Welcome to the third of our election panels. We're here to try and put the campaigning into some kind of perspective, and after a rather uneventful, somewhat a lacklustre campaign so far. I think it really took off today. Uh, Boris Johnson being discombobulated by a reporter trying to show him a photograph of a four-year-old patient sleeping on a floor in Leeds General Hospital. And then the same Prime Minister calling for the BBC licence fee to be ended. Or did he? Well, we'll find out. We've got three expert panellists who are going to be able to put the campaign into perspective both locally and nationally and I've asked them to introduce themselves. Sean. Hello. I'm Dr Sean Lang. I teach uh,
1: history at Anglia Ruskin University. I'm also to be heard with Steffi Callister on on Drive uh, on Thursdays and um, also on uh, BBC Cambridge You've Thursdays
0: done well. a lot of um, uh, media panelling, haven't you, over your time? So you uh, must know what this is like. Uh, oh, the, the panelling, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes. which is, the, I'm, I'm going to ask you some preposterous questions and you're yes, going to attempt to your that. way through them. Excellent. In the middle there.
2: Hello, I'm Angela Young. I'm a former BBC reporter and producer and news editor and teacher of journalism and most recently have started a podcasting business making podcasts for other people.
3: And we have a blogger too. Uh, Yeah, well, I'm Chris Rand. I'm a community organiser from the Queen Edith's area of Cambridge, uh, editor of Queen Edith's Community News magazine, and, uh, yeah, occasional political blogger.
0: So we will talk, obviously, about uh, Cambridge, about South Cams, about South East Cams, which we've perhaps ignored in the previous two episodes of this series. Uh, But let's start with what we were just talking about before we switched the microphones on which is the Prime Minister's extraordinary discussion, shall we call it that, with a reporter where he apparently takes the reporter's mobile phone. I mean, Angela, do you want to get us going? You've seen it. What did you make of it?
2: Um, the the video is interesting in that you can't actually see the taking of the phone, but you see the withdrawal <laughs> of the phone from the pocket. So you can conclude that that did in fact happen. Um, whether he meant to take it and get somebody to look into it afterwards or whether it's absent-minded... I don't know. All he appeared to be doing was avoiding looking at the picture on that phone, which he eventually did, and give him his due when he did look at it. After a lot of prompting and evading, he did seem to say, it's awful for that four-year-old boy, which is what the reporter wanted.
0: What he did also do, I guess, or his team did, is make sure that... The Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, was put on a a plane or something and sent up to Leeds to actually walk around the corridors and say, in terms, this is a terrible thing, it's not our fault.
2: Well, that was a quick reaction. I haven't seen that, but... uh that would have been the thing that they would. Have, I would have been surprised if they hadn't done that.
0: Sean, is this um, the latest version of the War of Jennifer's Ear? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suppose it is.
1: Um, I mean, politicians very often, when, they, when they're presented with a specific case, uh, which puts their policy in a particular sort of prism, as it were, um, it's always a difficult one, because after, after all, if you're the Prime Minister, you're not you know, directly responsible for the things at that sort of level. You're ultimately, but not, not directly, and of course you, know, you won't know the case. So the thing to do is to say to express your sympathy for the person, to say that you don't know the details, to say that you will find out or you you know you will act on it because this is what you know, an MP can have this. It doesn't have to be the Prime Minister. This is, you know it's 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 pretty standard uh, electioneering campaigning stuff as it were. A- absolutely the the Jennifer's Ear sort of thing. It's not that difficult to to deal with. And he was unbelievably inept for someone who um, you know prides himself on his presentational style. It may not be to, to anyone's taste, but he after all he. Not- He doesn't lack confidence in front of a camera. Um, It was amateurish, and I have no idea what was happening with the phone. I'm not saying he would nick anyone else's, but the basic point was that he did not know how to handle that situation. I'll
0: come to you in a minute, Chris, because I know you've got something to say about this, but while you're talking about how prime ministers and indeed candidates are taught uh, and the kind of media training they have, what would you advise Boris Johnson to say in answer to the question... How many children have you got? <laughs> I think you'd.
1: Um, I, I mean, either you come clean, which is uh, always catches people out because you don't expect politicians to do that, or you give a very clear answer and say that's my private life and you know and, and keep it private. But I don't think that that's a particularly good but thing to say. But isn't it you know, to want say? Not, to
0: just say it. For example. Yeah. Well, I've got six. Yeah, or exactly. Ten. I don't, or do I don't know yeah. how many. And then, he's then, it, got. then it kills the story. But, yeah, exactly. You say that, and yeah. you say, and I love yeah. them all, and I'm yeah. very lucky to yes. have yes. them, yes. and I'm proud of them.
1: You could even say, after all, we're not. This isn't the Victorian age. Um, you could even say that you know my life has been complicated. You know, many people's lives are complicated, and recognise that it's the sort of pretending, the hiding, um, which doesn't go down
0: well. Yeah. Now, Chris, you were saying to me earlier that you had been at the Billy Bragg concerts. In fact, I think you said... Did you go to four of them? I thought there were. I went only...
3: to all three at the junction and then one, the one, one, <laughs> of, the out, one of the two outside gigs, the <laughs> impromptu ones
0: he did. Um, I, I managed one of them, but uh, I picked up, as you did, the the use of the word empathy. And of course, Peter Bazalger to the Arts Council, actually the Arts Council, has written a whole book on this as well. Right. What is it that's making you think about the word empathy during this campaign?
3: I've been I've been grappling ever since you know the referendum. I think, and which which you know as they said split the country, and they said that they've been saying ever since that um, political parties of you know don't reflect the split down the country, and uh, but this is all just mentioned but never really examined I don't think about well, what is this split and I've been thinking about this all the time and I wrote something all oh, several months ago now I just wondered whether it's it was kindness I said to people is it the kind people against the unkind people is that I mean I'm not saying that's any necessarily related to Brexit but it you know that you gravitate one side or the other because of that but I was never really happy with that and then Billy Bragg last week did a little piece between songs where he talked about this divide down the country being between people who have empathy and people who don't and I'm not saying that not having empathy is necessarily you know a terrible thing or an evil thing but he may have hit the nail on the head there I think Uh, and of course with Johnson today you know the fact that he just showed he has no empathy. He didn't want to look at the picture. He, he had an idea what it was going to show. He knew he couldn't relate to it, but he couldn't waffle his way out of it because he st- still
0: didn't have any empathy, I, I think. Angela, what do you make of that?
2: I don't think empathy is the preserve of one side or the other, I think, because there's uh, empathy being shown across all parties. It's a, it's a difficult one, that one. Um, I, I think the the problem is that people who made a decision... Um, nobody likes to admit they were wrong. And I think people have got more and more entrenched. Instead of people saying, oh, actually, maybe that was a view I hadn't considered, they're going to say, no, I said that and I'm right with it. And this is what's... I I don't think it's an empathy thing. I think it's perhaps a um, a self-confidence thing where they have to believe they were right, whatever their right was.
3: I think, obviously, the divide we're talking about is the Brexit one. As I presume. Well it's uh, the divide think, down yeah. the country, there yeah. is one. Now I, th- I think this is it's about symptoms and causes isn't it yeah. and you know I don't think Brexit caused caused the divide down the country, is it reflecting a divide that has been it, hidden and if so what was yeah, that divide? It, it certainly
1: brought it brought a, a divide right in, into the open and I think the uh, divide that I detect is the divide between people who feel they've never been listened to and they've been left behind mm-hmm. and I think there's a very strong sort of metropolitan elite versus the rest of the country type of thing and when I say metropolitan I don't just mean London. I think Cambridge is very much part of that as well. Um, one or two other other places, Oxford, I suppose, is the is, would be another one. And uh, this is why one of the most difficult aspects of this whole situation and atmosphere that we're in is sort of caricaturing. The other. And uh, so, you know, when one talks about kindness and empathy, of course the assumption is that I've got kindness and empathy and you haven't. Um, but of course they would say the same. And, uh, and you know, that you're not listening to me, you've got your own concerns. And, uh, and you know, all sorts of very, very difficult, sensitive issues, immigration being an obvious one. Do you remember the uh, Gordon Brown moment when, um, I forget her name, um, Gillian... Duffy um, came up to her and, and, and said... And, of course, he didn't want to talk about it, but a lot of people did, and the referendum gave them their moment when that, that, that could be. And, of course, it was a major factor in part of the campaign. So you
0: don't yeah. buy the idea that leavers are uneducated and no, remainers not are intellectuals no, that would be because a, that is an idea oh, it's, that absolutely. has it's broad it's, currency it's especially yeah. in a town like this yeah absolutely.
1: Okay. even if it were true it would be a very patronizing way of looking at it
0: i think the statistics
3: the research has shown it's it's actually an age thing though isn't it and and the educational level uh, links to age but it is you know again causes and symptoms mm. uh so y- y- yes it is slightly a, an intelligence led or or education led thing but that's not it's not because of the education thing it's more because of an age thing have you uh, got
0: brexiters in your family chris uh
3: yes uh i have a part of the the, the in-laws uh, come from south essex which is brexit central <laughs> um in fact um my uh, mother-in-law's partner said to me before the um the referendum uh, he was fascinated to talk to us genuinely because he said you know in all this campaign which has been going on for weeks now he hadn't met a single person who wanted to stay in the eu you know and i think i could have probably said i hadn't met a single well, person who, who wanted That's to leave the echo chamber point, of modern which, was, politics, which was incredible but you know and okay he works in a golf club in south essex you know so i mean <laughs> you couldn't caricature something more but you know good for him he he knows what he what he thinks and, Everyone he comes across thinks the same, you know.
2: I do want to come in on the educated uh, debate. Uh, uh, The Tory party is led by um, somebody who was at Oxford and Eton, so this argument can't be used about him and other cabinet members who have a similar background. Mm. I feel that there may be... They are capitalising on the views of people um, who uh, have not been heard... Mm. But the unfortunate utterances of a uh, couple of uh, high members of the Tory party in recent uh, weeks about the intelligence mm. of the general public uh, rankles with me, because how can mm. these people represent the views of the people uh, they say are not uneducated, but their views speak differently? Mm.
1: I mean, you, you said, um, do I know anyone, you know, uh, well, in my family, I met my mum, uh, yeah. and I'm pretty certain, I hope I'm not libeling, mm. in my brother, who was a Cambridge graduate, uh, and I... Pretty sure would have would have voted uh, for, for Brexit. You know, uh, I know what you mean. I know there is, uh, and w- when people have analysed the the voting patterns, there is a, there's an age thing, there's a graduate thing, as it were, but it's not the whole story. And there always has been a very sort of educated, highly sophisticated, and indeed very often left wing argument against membership of the of the European Union. If you think back to the 1975 referendum, you know, people like um, you know Tony Benn, of course, um, campaigning to come out, um, and there's a there's always been a sort of intellectual argument against it in terms of sovereignty, in terms of, uh, sort of place of the world, and, uh, and, and particularly, I think, in terms of the sort of control of, of UN affairs. So, so in
0: this current campaign, Anthony Brown, the, who is standing mm-hmm. for the Conservatives in South Cam's, was on this radio station with Julian Clover uh, a few days ago, and he was... Uh, reiterating the party line, which is get Brexit done, get Brexit done, get Brexit done. Ah, I've done it three times for them there. <laughs> did, did that make it any more plausible? <laughs> Who knows? Um, it felt to me as a listener as though the that kind of campaign sloganeering, rather like strong and stable and for the many, not the few, and all these kind of phrases is designed to appeal in the same way that a radio station might use a jingle. Yes. They might say, better music mix, or in touch yeah. with, the, or whatever. That People say that because they want it to be parroted back at them by the pollsters. Mm-hmm. Do you think in this election, Chris, any of that has worked?
3: Um, well, yeah, what they've done, the, the, the get Brexit done slogan and the reason that works, let's think of another one that worked, take back control. Mm-hmm. Now let's think of ones that didn't, strong and stable. You don't have to be a professor of English to realise that one is a label, is just adjectives, and another, the other, the successful ones are imperatives, um, and that's what's worked. So you know, it was it was very poor to have slogans like "for the for the many, not the few" don't, doesn't don't really cut through, and
0: "strong and stable" never cut through, and that sort of thing. Um, some, something, back. sorry, something with an exclamation mark on the end, yeah, is something that is more believable because it's it's, a, it's do something. It's
3: supports that it. I I can it? I can support something. I can do or I don't want to do. But you know, but I can't support a label. Nobody can support a label; they just don't do it.
2: it just as a sideline for that one, I was living in Munich for a while last year, and there was a, a theatre with a comedy show uh, that was in. Uh, it, called in German stark und stabil which is uh, (laughs) strong strong and stable so I don't think it was taken seriously in Germany (laughs) very good
1: the other thing of course with strong and stable was that it was belied by the very obvious point that the government was neither strong nor stable Uh, Um, uh, and and, you know if you're going to have a descriptive label you need to live up to it I
0: think think the Labour Party should have stood under the title of uh, Chaos with Ed Miliband (laughs) (laughs) which would have have, have been more (laughs) interesting the (laughs) the other
1: thing with the label one is that it's got six words um, so it doesn't trip off the tongue well, quite seriously. and it's the old one because they've they've been having i forget when they coined it but it wasn't for this election they no. haven't coined a new one for the election whereas uh clearly the conservatives had and, yeah. and and i
3: was hearing today that that one message because they keep repeating it yeah of course it's got through yeah that's how it works well of course interestingly um i, I as i found out um listening to a radio phone in um i've been wondering not being a, a Brexiter myself that, you know why a lot of the aren 't getting on board with the Conservative Party mm-hmm. and Boris Johnson at the moment and from radio phone in I was listening to um explained all because they are considered by the brexit purists um, as trivializing it. Get brexit done means brexit 's not this wonderful nirvana to reach it's it's it 's an annoyance it 's something in the road we just have to get rid of this inconvenience mm-hmm. and you know, to people that genuinely believe in Brexit, um, you know, this, it's not an inconvenience. It's, it's opening up Britain to the world and all the other wonderful things that are supposed to happen. And and, and, and we, I can see why they would find it very annoying.
0: Do we think that this is the Brexit election? You know, in, in previous mm. episodes of this programme my panellists have suggested that actually there are a lot of other issues at play and that people are concerned about the health service and education and in this area roads and cycling and you know um, climate change and other issues are they right that it's a broader canvas or is this the Brexit election Chris?
3: So hard to say isn't it Um, and I don't think we'll ever know to be honest Um, but Certainly other things have been coming into... I, th- I think more than any other election, it's about, it, that's about characters and personalities. I mean, you know, it's all about who I don't like the, the most. Um, you know, that's, that's what it It's is, the least it? worst. You know, it's the least worst, yeah. Uh, and, you know, if... if I think in, in, there's a similar thing brewing in the United States and a couple of people are now thinking, I can just step in here and clear up here, mm. which we don't. our system doesn't allow. Mm. Um, but, you know, at the moment, no-one seems to want to vote for anyone. If you want
1: an election or a vote on one issue, hold a referendum. That's the only way to do it. Um, In 17, uh, of course, Theresa May thought she had a Brexit election. And actually she did, and actually this one is, because... You know, after the after the shouting is over and the results are through, the Brexit thing has to be dealt with. But during the campaign of course the, um, the, 19, the, the 2017 one turned out to be about um, social care. Um, so you know, it didn't turn out to be about Brexit really at all even though the main issue thereafter once you got the Parliament elected was going
0: to be Brexit. Well, it's something um, that Edward <coughs> Heath learned wasn't it? That y- you don't dictate the terms <coughs> no. on which the election is no. fought because no. he went to the country saying who runs the country and the country said well not you. <laughs> so, yeah if, if you go to hold an election it's very difficult to hold it to the particular
1: issue because of course you have other people who have their own issues who want to uh, and it's then a the question of who gets their agenda into the news and and accepted and it may not be you let me just leap
0: forward here to south cams hmm. okay so if we are a Brexiter in south cams we've got an obvious candidate to vote for he has said publicly that he was undecided until the very last minute but he eventually voted brexit we'll have to take him at his word for that if we're a, a non uh, i'm going to say a remainer but that, is there such a thing i don't know but if we're against brexit mm-hmm. should we go lib dem because they might have a bigger chance of winning or should we go labor i mean which one of those feels like the more plausible well, if, if opponent
3: want, there's there's a tactical voting choice which you know i think uh, everybody's researching it agrees is is the lib dems Um, despite the fact that Labour are running a a very strong campaign. And I think that's reflected in South East camps as well, which is a similar situation. Um, Again, you know, it looks like the the, the tactical voting choice is the Lib Dems, but the question is, you know, do people want to, to tactically vote. That, you know, there are many people who, who just don't want to do that and, and they absolutely, within their rights, not to. This is to.
0: why I asked you the question, is this the Brexit election? Because if it is the Brexit election, then tactical voting is absolutely what you do. Even Billy Bragg said that, yes. didn't he, from the stage. I never thought I'd hear the man from <laughs> Wed, Red Wedge say, Vote Lib Dem, but he, in effect, no, he did, did that. Well, he did, actually, and in the you know, And we've got he, so. um, an election where, you know... Michael Heseltine speaking, speaking for the Lib Dems, John Major saying don't vote Tory, mm. that suggests that it is mm. exactly what we we were uh, talking about. It is a Brexit election. However, it feels to me as though there are other issues at play and uh, there there is a sense of, well, you know, I don't feel I want to vote for the Lib Dems. I'm I'm a Labour kind of guy. Or I don't mm. want to vote for the Labour because, you know, I don't really trust Jeremy Corbyn. There are other things that play. What, what do you think, Angela?
2: Well, I live in Southeast east Cambridgeshire, and I actually went to the Hustings in uh, the village where I live in Histon last Tuesday, uh, where it was widely thought there would be an empty chair, but in fact, it was filled, and all four candidates were there. So we have a Tory candidate, a Labour candidate, a Lib Dem candidate, and an independent Brexiteer. And there had been a lot of talk about uh, who was going to stand out, what the, the row between uh, Nigel Farage and the Conservative Party about wh- how not to split the blo- vote, backfired horribly in southeast cams because <laughs> apparently according to the independent brexit candidate and candidate and i can't confirm that whether that's the case uh, the tory candidate went to his house and spent 3 hours there trying to persuade him not to stand presumably so as not to dilute her vote uh, the effect of that was he um, confirmed that he was standing and as an independent brexiteer so uh, i'm i'm interested in this tactical voting side of things also, there's one uh, there's one poll by Servation, which, in South East Cams, does say the Lib Dems are, are in second place. Uh, historically, uh, Labour has been uh, no, in, I'm sorry. In the last election, Labour overtook the Lib Dems to become yeah. in, in second place. Um, and uh, the uh, Liberal Dem- Democrat candidate has been campaigning like crazy. She's everywhere. Her social media campaign has been phenomenal her paper campaigning has been so phenomenal (laughs) that it's beginning to have an adverse reaction. Mm. And people are beginning to say to her, too much leafleting, and apparently (laughs) one person said to her in Witchford this weekend, you're campaigning too hard. (laughs) One of
0: my panellists a couple of weeks ago described the Lib Dem campaign as being death by pamphlet.
2: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's my colleague, David Skinner. (laughs) Yes. I I
3: I think we should point out, of course, that... Tactical voting at the moment just generally seems to be considered to be happening on the progressive side. Tactical voting is, how do you stop the Tories? Mm. But actually, there's another tactical campaign going on, which the Tories have already won, which is the tactical campaign against the Brexit Party. Mm. And many, many Brexit Party voters have just voting, you know, as, as, almost as reluctantly uh, tactically for the Conservatives uh, as Lib Dem and Labour voters are for each other on the other side. So we shouldn't forget that there are two tactical campaigns going on. It's just that one's largely over and has
0: been won. I wonder to what extent we feel that the... whether it's Brexit or it's empathy or whatever it is... Has actually genuinely broken through the old party loyalties. I think it has
1: for this one. I don't think it will beyond, unless of course Brexit, um, which of course is not going to be over. It's not get Brexit done. It's get Brexit started. Oh my god! Um, yeah, I mean, it, it <laughs> just depends, depends on So I suppose it depends a little bit on how that continues into the future. But um, what has struck me is the resilience of the the two. Parties, despite this, so although you've got a lot of tactical voting, and although clearly the Brexit thing, and of course the uh, the problems around Jeremy Corbyn, do um, mean that a lot of people are not going to vote for whom they would normally do. But I think once this is passed, uh, uh, all the signs are, I think, that they'll go back.
2: I was in a car today on my way to a volunteers meeting with uh, two other women, who who said for the first time that this was what was happening: tactical voting. In fact, uh, one person in the car said that she and her son had come to uh, an agreement uh, she herself said she was slightly right of center her son was a lifelong labor supporter he said to his mother if you vote for boris johnson pretty much i'll never speak to you again and she said likewise if you vote for jeremy corbyn <laughs> so they had to both agree <laughs> to vote for somebody else and it, this is a <laughs> personality yes yeah. um, well
3: i mean i've unash- unashamedly said i've i've used the swap my vote website um, so, um, tell like, us about that. <laughs> swap that? My Vote website is, is a beautifully done thing. You go onto the website, you um, say uh, who you would like to vote for, ideally, but who you feel you ought to vote for tactically. And they match you up with someone who's the other way around somewhere else in the country. So I was matched. It's, it's up. a dating app. Isn't it? It's a dating. I can tell you that because it's more than that. Because you, you do it through Twitter uh, names. I've been matched up with someone called Ginny on the south coast. I think she's in. Um, I can't remember which constitu- a Tim Lawton constituency. Tim um, Lawton's constituency, and uh, she wants to. Uh, vote one way, and I want to vote another, and we've swapped votes. And this I, is I, brave I mean, I, w- world, I would have voted tactically anyway, and I think she probably would. But we're going to both going to feel much better about it now because someone <laughs> is doing it the one we would want to do. And uh, I think so that's don't
2: terrific. You, uh, cancel each other out? Well, well no, because we're in, we're in different, different constituencies. We're,
3: well, we're both voting against the Conservative Party. You know, we're both tactically voting on, on, on that side. Um, so, so, does
2: this website only work for a particular party? And no,
3: you can do it all sorts of ways. And so. I hope you're very happy. Together. <laughs> I know. I think I, think, I, I, I sent her a, um, you know, a direct message on Twitter just saying what constituency I was in, and she sent me one back. And I think we'll probably leave it at that. You know? <laughs> what does the
0: current Mrs. Rand think of with Ginny? I,
3: I don't know. <laughs> I Let's leave no that idea. one there.
0: Um, it's Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm Trevor Dan. I've got my three panelists for the third of our election panels with me today, Sean Lang, Angela Young and Chris Rand. Uh, Angela, I'm going to come to you. You mentioned earlier that you used to work for the BBC, so you'll have had some experience, as I have, about having to be an impartial journalist with, you know, quote marks around it.
2: Representation
0: of the People Act. All that stuff. Now, what do you make... Of the way that BBC presenters like Laura Koonsberg and Nick Robinson and others have been allowed, some would say encouraged, to take to social media and to be at least perceived by some people to be less than impartial. In other words, they've been... Uh, some some of uh, people have accused them of swallowing the dominic cummings line others have said well you know you've just you've you've had a pop at the tories there because you didn't research the story properly how important is the way that these apparently respected journalists are interfacing with social media. How important is that?
2: This is a very difficult one. But for me, the impartiality of the of the BBC is something I hold very dear. I, I've been having a quick look around because I don't tweet uh, uh, at the article about this.
0: You should have a word with Ginny about that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and I was slightly comforted, if that was the right word, to see that people were accusing, particularly Laura Koonsberg, um, from both sides of the divide. And so I thought, well, maybe then she is being impartial. But the swallowing the Dom- Dominic Cummings line is it, a dangerous, very dangerous line to go down. And I've also got another point. It, it's that if you are a journalist on a paper, it's assumed that you're going to side with the paper's. Uh, Accepted viewpoint, but the, but the BBC is different. Um, so, if you aren't working for the BBC, yes, you should not have a political view that you publicise. This is where social media becomes very difficult because that's where you're personal. And if you do have a really strong view about something, are you? Uh, is it censorship to stop you talking about it if it doesn't fit with an impartial view? I don't know. It's
0: difficult, isn't it? Is it? Very difficult. And, and, and in 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 my world, radio and audio. <laughs> you can see an interesting breakdown of the old impartiality rules as soon as people go on on a podcast rather than a broadcast. Mm. Because although the rules technically still apply, people don't feel that they do, and they feel that they can be a little bit softer about things and talk more about their own personal experiences. I find that a more engaging listen often.
2: We have to assume that a podcast is being done by somebody with an agenda and that we assume the listeners know that, but that's difficult because you can download a radio programme and listen to it on a podcast app, and how are you going to tell the difference? And what did you make, Angela, of uh, uh,
0: Andrew Neal's piece to camera, pleading with the Prime Minister to come on his show. Did you see that? I didn't. This, oh, this was yeah. done at the end so of one of his interviews. Want Who wants to talk about well, this? I thought uh, you, you got two ones. You, you got the Andrew Neil one and you
1: got the Channel 4 block of ice, empty mm-hmm. chairing, That's that sort of thing. And I think these are two different ones. Because with Andrew Neil, uh, actually, although I can see why some might think he went too far... I don't actually personally think he did because the the deal was quite clear. Every party leader to go in front of him to face the sort of grilling um, that, after all, we want our um, politicians to to be put through. It's not the sort of uh, endless interruptions that you get complained about on the Today Programme. And John Humphreys was was on it. It's not like that. It was very. Uh, I thought he he uh, did a very very professional job on say Jeremy Corbyn and it was a pretty rough th- ride for him. He gave a pretty rough w- ride also to Joe Swinson, but fair enough, fair enough, you know. So the idea that, um, you know, the Prime Minister should opt out of that when everyone else is doing it, I think there is a fair point there. Um, but th- when it comes to empty chairing, because someone has chosen not not to be on a, on a panel for whatever reason, then I think, you know, that is making rather more of it, you know, you're making a dramatic point and, uh, you know, and making a sort of moral judgment. So I think it's, it is a it's a tricky one to get right, but to sort of say... Uh, I think he, where he went wrong was to say it was a question of trust, because, after all, he doesn't have to do it. Um, it's just that it looks pretty, you know,
3: cowardly, frankly, not to. Chris, uh, let's go back to Billy Bragg again, because his other point was, um yeah, he said... Obviously, you know, doesn't like the way things are going generally in politics. And he said, if there's a, bit, a line to be drawn, if there is somewhere that we should defend at all costs, it's accountability. Mm. Um, and, you know, politicians are now going over the line, you know, that they don't have to be accountable for anything. They can do what they want. And, you know, I, you know, I can understand that. It's a, it's, a, it's going to be a real problem, I think, in the future. Because the, they're pushing it and pushing it about how far they, they need to go to be accountable to, them, to the people, to their party, to anyone.
0: It's, is this the Trump playbook, that you can basically say what you like and well, if you the, keep the, saying it, people will yeah, just Yeah, I mean, the
3: incredible thing about Trump, say what you will about him, was, you know, he just came out with it from the beginning. He just blew everything away. He said, I can go and shoot someone in the street. You'll still vote for me. And, You're all stupid. Ha, ha, ha. And everyone went, yeah, we are. <laughs> sure <laughs> i thought that um
1: in a sense uh, where boris johnson got it so very badly wrong and in a sense this is not unlike his his interview thing today is that the big news story before had been the Jeremy Corbyn interview, because that has sort of absolut- left him pretty ragged and in many ways, in many ways had sort of, uh, I must say, demolished him, if you like, but certainly sort of put him very, very tightly on the spot, particularly on the anti-Semitism issue. But then, when Boris Johnson doesn't go on, he creates a new narrative, which is at least Jeremy Corbyn went through it, at least Joe Swinson, you know, they all went through it. It was tough, but, my, you know, the, at least they had the guts to turn up. And then that becomes a different narrative, and you have this sort of, well, why won't he, you know, is, is he chickening away, which this... Um, thing in the hospital today also um, are you not prepared to face up to the consequences of your own decisions or of your own uh, policies or whatever and that's not a very happy um, persona to go into an election with only a few days before.
0: If I may let me take you on to something you just mentioned then which is anti-Semitism and Labour, Islamophobia and the Conservatives we are a a bunch of if I may say so um, middle-aged white people should, if you know, if we were of the Islamic faith or we were Jewish, uh, should we feel um, worried about the tone of some of the electioneering this time round? I don't think it matters whether you're Jewish or, or Islamic.
1: You certainly should. Um, I think there's been... But to, um, and who's the, to blame then? Well, there are two. They're not quite the same, although they sound you know, sound the the same. I mean, Islamophobia is, in many ways, a sort of very familiar type of racist uh, response to a large, the arrival of a large, you know, community with the inevitably the, the sort of terrorism aspect and when you have that as we as the Irish have found and indeed as the Jews found in the 1940s there will always be an angry reaction against the community where it's, where it's living locally um, none, none of that excuses any of it but it does put it into a sort of um, context which, where it is ver- a very familiar type of, of phenomenon anti-Jewish in of course has a very very long history, um, it's not particularly against a, a, a sort of vis- not usually against a sort of visibly uh, noticeable community and of course it's very closely tied in with more well, there are different types there's the, sort of the old religious one there's the sort of left wing uh, anti anti money money thing and i think the real issue which has i have to say has shaken me has been the extent with which the sort of virulence according to the reports which have come out and which you know the, the party is being investigated for heaven's sake which has very closely associated with uh, with Jeremy Corbyn's leadership so i think this is a very big issue yeah
2: I think the problem does lie with Jeremy Corbyn. Um, Decent as though he sometimes comes across Mm. in that his historic uh, alleged support of the Palestine Liberation Organisation, and this is where I was talking to my uh, grown-up children about it at the weekend, that you sort of fall in one of two camps, almost like the Brexit divide, in that um, you either are firm and fervent supporter of Palestine or of Israel, and it tends to be on a left and right divide. Um, therefore, I think the um, Islamophobia feeds into the um, immigration fears which mm. were um, allowed to be said during the Brexit debate, which, of course, was nothing about that. It was about immigration. It's only about immigration from Europe, and that seems to be glossed over, whereas the Palestine mm. one, I think, is a, a deeper-rooted, different um, problem.
0: I'm not detecting immigration being a big issue in cambridge the the people that i meet tend to say well you know we have a lot of people here from europe and they do a lot of the jobs we don't want to do Mm. Um, i recorded a a podcast today where somebody who works locally runs a a, a group of restaurants actually Mm. in in cambridge Mm. and cambridgeshire um you know, was was talking about the, the increasing difficulty of recruiting staff. And, you know, there's a real sense of, well, if we, actually, if we do leave, yeah. we, we're, we're going to, you know, find it hard yeah. to get people. However, um, this isn't um, Leicester or Derby or Rochdale or various other places. And I just wonder whether in other areas of the country the whole immigration debate is a much sharper it's different thing
3: that's for sure actually I think the it, funnily enough from what I gather you know in places like Leicester it's not so much of a debate either um, the, the immigration is an issue it, it appears it, and this is going to sound a little bit flippant in two places one of the places where there's been dramatic immigration and we're talking about here like in some of the Fenland towns and places like that where you know, clearly there's been you know uh, an issue um, there's been big changes to the towns and to people's way of lives and that sort of thing um, and you know Clearly, that's very, very uppermost in their thoughts. But the one that's going to sound slightly flippant is... The other place where immigration is an issue, the places that has virtually no immigration, and and you can't help but notice that the places where UKIP and the Brexit Party have been strong in you know old seaside towns and things like England, there's, there's very little immigration there. There really is. If you go to many of these places, if you go to you know places like Clacton and that sort of thing, it's it's not an issue. You know, it really isn't. And yet they're fervently you know um, you know, let's just say anti-immigrant rather than anything you know
0: worse than that. So has it? Uh, We've read a lot about it. There's been a lot of column inches about it in the newspapers. Uh, d- 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 has it been an influencing... Immigration? Yeah, I mean, is, um, it, is immigration that, still part of what we're, uh, what we're it, voting for in this remember, it, it was
1: used by Nigel Farage with that infamous poster... Uh, doing the referendum campaign and of course his per- point was uh, based on images of people arriving from, uh, in Hungary if I remember right. Yeah. Like uh, and of yeah. course the idea was that uh, you know, Turkey was going to join the EU and then thousands of Turks were going to uh, going to arrive, which was completely untrue but that's the point, you know. So so it was used as a scare tactic there. Um, I think Chris is right that um, a lot of it is impression rather than necessarily actual numbers where you live. It's, it's the sort of idea that it's happening somewhere. You know. But, uh, In terms of this election, I think um, it hasn't featured particularly, but the the, uh, anti-Semitism thing, which isn't about immigration, of course, this is about a community which is here, and the the supposed characteristics of that community, that's what's what's at at stake there. And uh, I have to say, I have found it quite horrifying.
0: Sean Lang is here. Angela Young is here. Chris Rand is here. I'm Trevor Dan. This is the third of our election panels for 2019. I wonder if there'll be another one in 2020. (laughs) Who knows? Um, I wanted to ask you about young people. We've all got some of those in our lives. And I think they are much more interested in climate change than perhaps we are or people of our age are. They're a lot less interested in party political labels Mm -hmm. In the same way, I always feel that they're less interested in channels on the radio and television. You know, younger people don't tend to know what BBC One is or what Dave is, but they know the brand they like, which is the show they watch. And I begin to feel that that's sort of happening to politics, and because of our first-past-the-post system, it's hard for them to understand why you've got to vote along a party line when actually what you want to vote for is let's say climate change here and anti-immigration there and so on and so, on. so do, first of all do you feel that's happening within your area i'm going to come to you sean actually first because you are you <laughs> work do work at people. a university <laughs> where there are young people so is that what they're saying to I you i recognize
1: that picture yeah. yes definitely um that uh, and you're quite right the climate uh, is is a huge issue and of course the extension rebellion um growth sudden growth out of nowhere has given a sort of of focus and something you can do uh, in terms of protesting. So yes, I, I think that is right. Um, I think in terms of party labels, there is a sort of well, certainly Jeremy Corbyn had his moment a couple of years ago when there was you know when he was new and there was he had a big appeal to, to young people. I think that is less marked now than it was. There's much more. I, I detect much more variety, if you like, of opinion. But you're quite right. It doesn't. They're not as party um, hidebound as as earlier generations were. Yeah.
3: Mm. Chris? Uh, well, I've got an, an 18-year-old who's voting in his first general election, and he's also, you know, very interested in politics, so it's been fascinating I to see... I wonder how
0: that happened. Yeah.
3: Well, <laughs> uh, well, he hasn't inherited my politics particularly, <laughs> but he he's um, he, he very much of his own mind, and he's, you know, very interested in generally... And he's at university in Scotland, and he said there are two definite issues there. One is green politics, which is everywhere, and the other is Scottish independence... Uh, and that's one of the reasons he wants to vote back at home because he said the Scottish independence fight isn't my fight you know and um That's so you very have, dignified of it you know uh, and I, I, I this was maybe a year ago i said to him well not much point in voting in south cams i've got to tell you because it's gonna be absolute walkover you know and then haha <laughs> <laughs> how little we knew it was going to happen a year later It suddenly become from you know a, a complete waste of time
0: voting to a, a marginal seat uh, okay but l- the, 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 my, my point is if you are you know, 19, 20, 21, or, you know, you're part of this new electorate <clears throat> that is excited about change, wants to make sure that something is done about the climate emergency. Where do you go? Who um, do you vote for?
3: Well, yeah, I don't know where you go in South Cams, because we don't mm. even have a Green candidate. No, but, uh, southeast. Uh, yeah, which South East. Yeah, which is... I don't know. I, I, I think, I, again, I can't speak generally for you know, younger people, but um, I think they're quite aware of the policies... Um, certainly, my my son said that it looks like the Lib Dem Green policy looks very good. Um, you know, there's some of them have done their homework. Angela,
2: yes, I've got a 23 year old and a 21 year old who are both very politically engaged. Uh, my 23 year old lives in Brighton, which does indeed have a mm. Green MP, and I would yeah. be amazed if she doesn't get uh, re-elected. Um, I was in Brighton at the weekend, and the post it, it was the city. This green. is Caroline Lucas. Mm. It is, yeah, yeah. uh, and there's. I, did, I maybe saw one one Labour poster. Um, and my son was a Corbynister that you mentioned. Mm. I think he's a little bit more pragmatic about it now. But they're both passionately green. Um, and um, uh, so, for example, this year, Crackers are banned um, because it's too much waste. Uh, and so I think... Um, I'm going to bring that back to South East Cams where our Lib Dem candidate, when she launched herself, in fact, for a district council um, position, which she got in and the Lib Dems took over South Cams, she announced that she was a green Lib Dem. Mm. I have to confess I hadn't heard of one till then, but I've heard it a lot (laughs) since then. And my feeling is that um, she is... uh, through if you, you stick of rock she's green all the way through professionally and brilliantly um, in terms of uh, what she's achieved in her career uh, but this is a pragmatic thing we don't even have a green candidate. If we did have a green candidate, I'm sure people would vote for her because they know her personally because of her campaigning. But she recognises that Lib Dem policies are perhaps the closest mm. to a green one.
1: Well, this is what Heidi Allen did, isn't it? Creating the the, co- the sort of coalition or whatever you know arrangement the debate, uh, you yeah. know, between, you might between the uh, Lib Dems and, um, and Plaid Cymru and and the Greens. So that I mean. that Presumably, is why um, in South, south Cams, South East Cams haven't got a green. Cambridge, of course, does, and Jeremy Caddick. Hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, so again, the, the idea is exactly that sort of Lib Dems can be both orange and green. And of course, this huge race to plant millions and millions of trees that they've all announced, <laughs> just with different numbers, <laughs> to try to make that big.
2: Y- y- you
0: mentioned Heidi Allen. Um, Joe Swinson's campaign was described to me by a wag a few days ago as a unite to lose. She's not done very well. We've, we've spent a few few minutes in this program talking about the Prime Minister and talking about the leader of the opposition. Has Jo Swinson cut through? Um, no, she hasn't. There
3: was a very good dissection of her campaign uh, on the, this week's Remaniacs <coughs> podcast that I really, really enjoyed, actually. and
0: but Which is could, good, whatever side you're on,
3: by the it's way. It's a terrific Highly podcast, yeah. It. Um, but they couldn't really nail the things she'd got wrong on her, other than to say if they were going to go with it revoke has their thing. They should have done it earlier and absolutely stuck to it. And, and you know, but you know, who's to say that would have worked better? Uh, I'm not sure. There's anything we can say. Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm sure the you know the Lib Dems will have a post mortem afterwards, however well or badly it goes. forward. because if you but, look
0: at the poll of polls. Yeah. Her, her role has been to watch that line go down. It has,
3: it? but it's a classic squeeze on the Lib Dems, you know, twas ever thus, you know, and they they knew that was coming. Um, what the Lib Dems do very well, because they know that's coming, is they learn where to focus their resources during a campaign, uh, very much so. Joe Swinson has said uh, if you're getting a lot of leaflets through your door this weekend, we're still in contention. And the Lib Dems
0: know they really do. And that's I suppose um you know, when when they do have that um, debrief, um, people will say, "Well, Joe, you went in a bit hard. All that kind of I'm standing to be your next prime minister. Perhaps you should have been a bit more humble at the beginning." Well, I think I think they had three things
1: that, uh, if you like, they got they got. Wrong. Although it's difficult to see how they could have got them right. The first is the the policy on Brexit. Um, now that's actually a perfectly logical thing. And if you're going in the election, and that is in your manifesto, then you have a mandate to do it. You know, uh, a democratic mandate. And yet it comes across as somehow undemocratic because it's seen as you know reversing the verdict of the of the referendum. And I think that if they're going to go in with a very clear policy, which after all is a strength compared with the very unclear policy that mm-hmm. Labour, Labour had, um, then you need to, it still needs a word of Explanation as to why this is a this is your people's vote, as it were. It's called an election, and this is our policy. The second problem I think was that there were, you didn't know what else the Lib Dems stood for. Um, and if you know, if you try to, say, I mean, I saw a uh, review view today about you know uh, voter understanding of the policies of the various parties. And with li- the Lib Dems, they knew where they stood on Brexit, but they didn't know where they stood on anything else. And I have to say that I think is fair comment. And the third thing is has to inevitably is is Jo Swinson. Now she's new to the job. I also think uh, I may be wrong on this. I'm happy to be corrected, but I think it's harder for a woman um, in this sort of very testosterone-driven thing that Boris Johnson's created. And I think a lot of the comments she's had is unfair. But nevertheless, she's new to it, um, and um, uh, this this is a learning curve. I, I, uh, Boris Johnson's a highly experienced former mayor of London. Jeremy Corbyn's been in the job for a lot for. for long you know for some years now so i think all of those things together end up with a a package which wasn't didn't have the impact that people thought
2: it would
0: quick word if i can about the winter election Mm. now this was one of the big stories three or four weeks ago wow we're going to have a winter election and we don't have those very often it was such a lovely day today, it was possible to forget <laughs> that this is a very odd thing. Mm. Has it influenced people, do you think? Is it going to influence voting patterns on the day, on Thursday? Again, n-
3: no, no, no one knows, because we just don't have the historic data no, to we'll go remember on. No one remembers
0: 1924. Well, indeed,
3: <laughs> and you know, clearly things are different now anyway. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, no one knows at all. I mean, even even Phil Rogers wouldn't know. <laughs> so, I
0: mean, uh, he was on the first of these it, shows. It, um, well, honestly, what's honestly, your feeling, though you know they always say well the bad weather and the early nights are worse for labor because it's hard to to get their vote out
3: um well they also say that the you know obviously labor and the lib dems um do a lot more you know door to door and you know campaigning and that's very much their way of doing things and therefore it's been harder to do that uh for sure but you know i, I think they've had a good chance to get out anyway um maybe you know not quite so much but I don't think make too much difference Um, in terms of getting out on the day. I mean, you know, again, parties have um, different levels of organisation in different places, and it's going to be very difficult to organise. I I would, um, I would certainly bet that the uh, organisation of both the Labour and Liberal Democrat parties in seats where they are running close is going to be very good.
2: I actually think that the weather is going to be less important than was predicted at the start. I think the apathy is the problem. People are so yeah. fed up and they actually think their vote doesn't count. Or perhaps even with Brexit, if they think they voted one way, they're being ignored. Um, those who are passionate, I think the weather won't put off from voting. And those who are feeling so disillusioned they won't vote, they wouldn't have voted on them in the middle of summer. Okay,
0: so apathy versus empathy. I wouldn't sure. disagree
1: with that, but I think there is another aspect which which does relate to the weather, which is first of all, um, let us not forget the floods not that long ago, and I think anyone Good living point. around there uh, with a, you know would not have forgotten it because after all, they're still not, you know, they, they wouldn't have recovered that, and that will count against the government. And secondly, the sort of story that we have today in hospitals, because of course in the winter hospitals do come under particular strain, and the sort of story that we had there is simply one of I suspect uh, a number when you know when the NHS does come under this sort of strain and of course it's the government that will catch that know, uh, the blame for that. So uh, I think mm. it it's sort of gives an extra element against the government.
3: And one other thing which may, you know, affect it, the predictions uh, in the election of course is the huge increase in voter registration which has yes. been very large they, they say 3.2 million applications to register which is 35-40% uh, higher And this than, is young people <laughs> mainly? Uh, well yeah they think about uh, 2 million are likely to be new which is 3,000 per constituency. That's mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that splits, um, you know, very heavily in favour of you know the, the progressive parties that the, the, the young tend to favour, it's a big question then is that whether the middle-aged people, as, who, as they tend to move over. Um, you know, we're only two years on from the last election and two years from the, the election before that, so I think a lot more people are coming in at the uh, at the uh, the young end
0: than are perhaps moving. Uh, over through age. I'm so. going to do that thing that I have had to rush on previous editions of this show, <laughs> which is read out the names of the candidates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you'll forgive me, uh, these are the ladies and gentlemen standing for your support in Cambridge in alphabetical order. They are Jeremy Caddick for the Green Party, Rod Cantrell for the Liberal Democrats, Peter Daw for the Brexit Party, Keith Garrett, Rebooting Democracy, Miles Hurley, Independent, Russell Perrin, Conservative, Jane Robbins, Social Democratic Party, and Daniel Zeichner for Labour. In South East Cams, we have James Bull for Labour, Edmund Fordham, an Independent, Lucy Fraser, the Conservative, and Pippa Halings for the Liberal Democrats. And in South Cam's, it's Anthony Brown for the Conservatives, Dan Grief for Labour, and Ian Solom, Liberal Democrat. Now, to what extent have any of these people, do we think, got a personal vote? Who is going to, as it were, buck the trend and get a bigger vote than their party might get? Good question, isn't it? I mean,
3: th- both, so. both the Cambridge the, the two leaders in the Cambridge um, vote are, are pretty well known now, and have been. You know, obviously Daniel's been the MP for a while, and, and Rod Cantrell's been um, campaigning hard for a long time. So that's going to be tough.
0: But does but does uh, da- from from your perspective, does Daniel Zeichner have a a big personal vote?
3: I think he must have because uh, he, him, 2015 was a big surprise winning in the first place and the scale of um, what happened in 2017 was completely unprecedented. No one saw that coming, did no, they? No, um, Julian Huppert thought he was in with a chance the night before. Do you want to just comment yeah, I about? I think, like yeah, in Interestingly
1: Cambridge? the uh, the labour some of the labour posters and um, uh, the little sort of flag things that they have have got his name um, rather than just labour, and, and I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, obviously, in South East camps, um, you know, Lucy Fraser is not only a, the, the sitting in, but a minister as, as well, so that obviously helps. It's harder in South camps because, of course, it was Heidi Allen's, and she had, a um, admittedly, not a, you know, you could like her a lot or not like her a lot because of her sort of history on that one. But uh, I think she had a very strong personal um, uh, uh, sort of appeal and I suspect she could probably have held it um, uh, had she stood but she doesn't and I mm-hmm. suppose there um, Dan Grief of course who has been campaigning for you know, he was the candidate before and he's a very good campaigner I saw—I was at the Sawston the, uh, Hustings and I thought he performed very well um, I mean they were all of them pretty good performers
0: but he was particularly good so those would be where I would say personally. You, you were saying earlier, Angela, that you went to the Histon Hustings. Mm-hmm. How was that, just in terms of the personality of the performers? Uh,
2: the uh, Liberal Democrat candidate, Pippa Halings is very well known in the village, very active in a lot of societies, from sustainability to um, uh, mental health awareness, everything. She ticks all the boxes, and she had a very supportive crowd there. There would be a danger of thinking that Histon itself is an orange bubble in, in, in a blue sea. Um, because uh, she is an immensely successful um, social media campaigner. She's she's, uh, forward-thinking. But... I was very impressed by the Labour candidate James Bull as a very decent man and in the last, in 2017 election uh, Labour's Hugh Jones uh, managed to uh, overtake the Lib Lib Dems for the first time. Lucy Fraser was there. She'd been to the school of speaking in threes. Every answer was in triples. (laughs) I giggled every time she did it. But she was there and um, I had a very interesting conversation with a man out walking a dog this morning who's a farmer and he explained the farming position and uh, why it's very likely that they will still vote for Lucy Fraser and we had an independent candidate who um did draw some laughter at some points so on a personal note Pippa will do well whether she can overtake that majority i don't know.
0: just briefly as you mentioned it agriculture is meant to be in in favour of um staying in the eu isn't it that, that don't the that's farmers what I quite said to like this, their
2: this gentleman subsidies? this morning um, and thank you Doug for your insights um he said actually a lot of farmers have voted uh to leave the EU because they they want, they want didn't want the subsidies. They wanted to level playing field. And he explained to me that quite often when uh, regulations are introduced, we assume that they're being introduced across the board. He said uh, farmers in Britain, and I am quoting Doug here, farmers in Britain tend to gold plate those regulations. If your chicken coop has to be one metre, we'll make it one and a half. We assume Bulgaria is, but who's going out to check the size of Bulgarian chicken coops?
0: Well, I think we should bring Doug on uh, for, the, <laughs> for, the, for the next panel if we uh, if we have one, along with Ginny, of course. Um,
2: <laughs> and, and can I? Come, I've got uh, one very light-hearted story that we might bring. Go on. I'd be bring, happy to bring in at the end if you would. No, no, do it now. But it kind of it matches with uh, Ginny and your right. happy relationship with her. <laughs> um, my son was 18 and had his first vote for the referendum, and in his class uh, were, were twins that we've known all their life. Lovely, absolutely lovely girls, and they were very excited about voting, and they knew that it. It was their um, uh, public duty to do so, but they really were not sure about the ins and outs and the rights and wrongs of Brexit, so they said, oh, we voted one way each.
0: <laughs> How <laughs> very charming. <laughs> um, we've got a couple of minutes um, in which I'm going to ask you to do that awful prediction thing.
2: Um,
0: the, I'm going to summarise the results of the f- two previous editions of the short series. Pretty well everyone said either it's going to be a small Conservative majority or it's going to be another hung Parliament, in which case, who knows. And I'm going to say that I think all of them were simply hedging their bets based (laughs) on the poll of polls. So is anybody going to... um, step out from that line. I'm looking at you, Sean. You're an academic. You know, you're, you're meant you to make judgements. That
1: means that you don't take a word I say it seriously <laughs> at all. Um, now, I think it will be a Conservative majority. However, they, it's still not too late for them to throw it away. Um, and, so they um, made a good
0: job of this. They actually. made a very good job of that. Yes,
1: yeah, very good. Very good it today. Uh, I think it will be a Conservative majority. However, much depends on the vote in Scotland be, and how they play, because if they do link up with Labour, then that could that could uh, unless Boris Johnson has an overall majority, which I don't actually think he will necessarily get. Um, so yeah, but I'll sit out and say, all right, I think a Conservative majority.
0: So when yeah. Steffi Callister and I are presenting on Friday between four and six, yes. are we going to be talking about confidence and supply with Lib Dems know,
1: or by no means impossible,
0: or yeah. are we? And, <clears throat> excuse me, possibility of. Um, um, the SNP and Labour? Uh, that
1: has to be a possibility, but everything hangs on what uh, Jeremy Corbyn will do about a Scottish referendum. Very
0: briefly,
2: Angela. Um, personal feelings aside, I, I suspect a Conservative majority possibly bigger.
0: Bigger than it is now. Mm. And, uh, oh, so it isn't now. I
2: yeah. Yeah. The balls, I mean. nice.
0: uh, Chris Rand, do you know what's going on? Oh, yeah,
3: I know what's <laughs> going on within a radius of about one kilometre of my house. Um, I'm going to go the other way then, just for the sake of it. I'm going to go for a hung parliament. Conservatives are the largest party, but whether they can hang on against a rainbow coalition, I do not know. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Chris Rand. Thank you, Angela Young. Thank you, Professor Sean Lang. I've been mm. Trevor Down. It's seven o'clock. <laughs>